Good morning, North County family. It is so good to be with you. How in the heaven are you? Oh, I love coming home to be with you today and to spend these few moments with you together. I want you to know from the depth of my being that our Jesus is unstoppable. He's unstoppable. No matter how difficult the situation, no matter how dark the night in India and Cambodia, no matter how few the people that know Christ are there, we are raising up a dynamic movement of churches and pastors who are invading the darkness because we are following the one person on earth who is unstoppable, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's give him a round of applause this morning. He truly is doing an amazing thing. And I'm so glad that Alex and Cherry are here with us this morning as, as so that you can say goodbye to them before they go back to India this week. You know, this is not the only amazing thing that God is doing in my life. Just recently, I became a grandfather again. <laughs> and there he is. There's the newest Orion to the addition to the family. His name is Kincaid Liam Gale. And he was born on August 1st to our daughter, Kate, who used to be the missions director with her husband, Wade. Here is the next picture for you. There they are in the hospital. And one of the greatest joys of your life is literally holding your grandchild in your arms. And that's what Ann and I got to do right there. Let's give that boy a round of applause. Oh, woo! <laughs> now, this I know. When I held my grandson in my arms, I know what I've told you many, many times. My grandson is a magnificent masterpiece. He was handcrafted by the living God inside my daughter's womb, and he was made on purpose for a purpose. God has a divine design for his life, and I tell you what, I'm going to do everything I possibly can from when I'm on earth and from praying in heaven to help him fulfill his divine design because he's a masterpiece. Can I hear an amen? Amen. But so are you. So are you. I've tried to say that to you over and over again through the years. You are a masterpiece. You're not a piece of work. You're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece made by the living God. You've heard this text so many times from me. I'm going to say it to you again. In fact, you're going to read it with me together because we're going to confess it together. Here we go. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Amen. Turn to each other and say, you're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. Now turn to each other and say, you're not a piece of work. You're a masterpiece. Amen? Amen. And nothing will fulfill you more deeply than living out your divine design. And that's why I so appreciate Pastor Kurt leading us through this series on your calling and responding to the call of God in your life. Aren't you glad Jesus responded to the call in his life? He left heaven, came to earth, humbled himself as a baby, took on the form of a servant, and lived to give away the life of God. And when he got to John 4 and he was ministering to the Samaritan woman, his disciples were shocked because nothing could stop him from ministering to people. And Jesus said to them, come on, guys. Next, He said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Amen. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, not fame, not fortune, not notoriety, nothing can supplant the incredible sense of well-being that comes from doing your divine design. When you're doing your divine design, this is how you're going to feel. Look at the next picture. That is it. That is exactly, do you get it? There's my grandson just finishing nursing. He goes, ah, 
Oh, yeah, baby, this is all this is what life's about right here. You're going to feel that awesome when you live your divine design. That's why if you haven't been to shape class or you need to come back again, you've got to figure this out with God's help because you are divinely designed and he wants to satisfy you by glorifying him and doing what you're created for. Amen? Amen. Isn't that a great picture? Wow. Yes, yeah, that's it. That's awesome, huh? Now, Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus knows what you're designed to do. He knows, and he wants to reveal it to you. And, and it, it is a progressive revelation. He told me to come and start this church with Ann uh, several years ago, 19 years ago. But when I was 60, there was another call that God put on my life. And many of you probably remember that. I got up in the pulpit on a Sunday morning and said, well, a funny thing happened to me this week. Uh, Jesus came and talked to me during my quiet time, and he said he wants to meet with me in Israel. You remember that? And I said, you know, I, it was a little crazy. I thought you know, some of the pastors and the elders are thinking like, oh, well, you know, are you sure? And I'm sure several in the congregation thought like our pastor is really losing it now. We always thought he was on the edge, but now he's gone over. But I did. I got on a plane in obedience to Jesus Christ because as a shepherd, you must model what you ask people to live. Amen. You must model what you ask people to live. And to the best of my ability to hear Jesus, he said, Kim, come to Israel and meet with me. And so, like it says in John, I want you to look at this text with you this morning. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Let's read that together. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, Jesus promised me on the plane to Israel that when I got there, he would meet with me at the Mountain of Beatitudes and that he would tell me what he wanted me to do with the rest of my life. So I got on the plane, got there, met my daughter Liza. We go to the Mount of Beatitudes, and at the base of the Mount of Beatitudes is the church that represents where Jesus broke the bread and fed the 5,000, five loaves and two fishes. And when I walked in there, I was overwhelmed by the presence of God, like Jesus was there waiting for me. And I fell to the floor on the rock in the center of that room, And I simply began to cry uncontrollably because I knew I was in the presence of a living God. And there was was not a time to be talking. It was a time to be listening. Are you with me there? And as I as I cried and my tears were pouring out over this rock, and all of a sudden Jesus just spoke to me these words. He said, I want you to multiply yourself in countless leaders and pastors around the world. Raise up an army of purpose-driven leaders devoted to growing healthy churches that bring lost people to me. Those are the words. That's the call. I'm 60 years old, and Jesus said to me, I've got another plan for your life, and here's what it is. I've been building for in your life for this purpose your entire life. This is the finishing of your life. I want you to do this. And I came back, and I shared that later on with the church, and then we asked Kurt if he would be willing to take on the, the lead pastor here. And hasn't he done a phenomenal job for us? It's overseeing the congregation. Woo! But honestly, at 60, it's, it's a little late in life to do a new thing. And yet it wasn't too late to do Jesus' thing. It's never too late to do what Jesus tells you to do. And so I gave myself to it, and Ann did it too. We eventually sold our house to Matt and Becky. We got rid of our cars. We went on the road, and we began to invest heavily with the LGN, with Alex and Cherry and Sophia and Jenny in Cambodia. The reality is, though, I've got to be totally honest with you. I knew exactly what Jesus wanted me to do, but I didn't have a clue how to do it. I didn't know how. 
It's, it's, and many people stop when they get a call from God. God says, I want you to do this. And you go, like, how could I possibly do that? All I knew is that Jesus wanted me to do this. I didn't know how. I wasn't sure how much of my time I'd be in India or Cambodia. I didn't know what other nations in Africa he wanted me to go to. All I knew is that Jesus wanted me to multiply myself and reach the nations with the gospel. And what I realized quickly is in order for me to do that, I needed mentors. I needed mentors. And this is such a powerful truth I want you to grasp today. God loves to not only tell you what to do, but he tells you how to do it by bringing people into your life who will help you do it. Amen. And I'm preaching this message this morning because I believe that this room is filled with people who could be phenomenal mentors to others in the congregation who have a call in their life. They don't know how to do it. Now, when I started along with LG, the, with Alex, the LGN, I needed two mentors. One, I needed a business mentor. I was so touched by the amazing willingness of this congregation to send me out, but not just send me out to support me so I could go. You graciously and generously and faithfully stood behind me and Ann personally and give to our income so we can do this work. What an amazing church this is. I'm going to give you a round of applause. <laughs> awesome. But, I, but and, and, and to this day, I'm just dumbfounded by how generously this congregation and sacrificially supports the LGN. It's amazing. But I needed a business mentor. I needed someone to help me flip real estate, sell real estate across the U.S. to provide the rest of the income we needed to live on. And I also needed a spiritual mentor, a mentor who had effectively had developed a global movement of pastors indigenously who are multiplying themselves and others. And I said, God, I cannot do this. I cannot do this if you don't provide mentors. And, and I want to underscore to you that that many of us in our life fail, fall short of what we know we could do. And the reason we don't press through it, because we have no guide, we have no advisor, we have no mentor. But Jesus, who gave me mentors, wants to give you mentors so you can fulfill the call he has on your life. Amen? 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 Now, all of us need mentors. Every single one of us do. Your children do. That's why he gave us parents, but also grandparents. Grandparents are phenomenal mentors. Parents also need mentors. I don't know if you noticed, but when I picked up my grandson, Kincaid, there was no instruction manual written on the bottom of his bum. There was none, and God knew I wouldn't read it anyway. But anyway, (laughs) there was no manual handed with him. It didn't come out with a womb when he was born. We all need wisdom-raising kids. Mentors help us from making critical mistakes that wound our children and make it hard for them to love us back and obey us. Youth do. They are struggling with so many issues from their identity, their sexuality, their friendships, their attitudes, and their future. They need a safe mentor to share with, to feel cared for, to resolve their hurts with, and to get guidance from. That's why I so love Denny and Nancy McCarnas who have started Partners for School and are reproducing along with Mike Black and other people across this, uh, this county. And the Partners for School is an amazing thing, and it provides mentors through the Be the One program. That's not it. Sorry. Hang on. There we go. But let's give them a round of applause for what they've done. Denny and Nancy, stand up, would you? Come on, stand up. Stand up. Let's hear it for them. Woo! Awesome. And Mike Black is over here. He's working with them in Ferndale. Stand up, Mike, so they can see you. Awesome. Here are these amazing people who are saying yes to the call. They didn't know how to do it either, but they've said yes to it. And adults need mentors too. 
Life is challenging, and I'd rather learn from others' experiences, not just my own. Do you know that Bill Gates has a mentor? You know what his name is? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is Bill Gates' personal mentor, and Warren Buffett turned 89 years old today. And he was recently asked by Bill, what is your definition of success? And Bill says, and Warren says this, when the people you care for love you back. Isn't that great? Now, I have a 91-year-old dynamic mentor. Here's a picture of him. He's the guy, in the only guy in the scene there. He's, he loves Jesus. He's in love with India and Cambodia. He's poured thousands of dollars there to reach the people there. He, he's a pastor. He's also a real estate entrepreneur. At 91, he's still flipping houses over a half million dollars apiece. And, and I talk to him all the time. I'm going to spend some of next weekend with him after I get done preaching in Oregon. He has been a godsend. He's not only mentored me in my ministry and my finances. He's, he's introduced me to all kinds of people like the woman in the, in the kind of colored outfit there who has helped us support the ministry that we do around the world. It's just amazing. Mentors are so life-giving. And here's what a mentor is, as you look at your slide today, is an experienced and trustworthy advisor. Number one, they encourage and affirm you. They express belief in you. They listen deeply and ask the right questions to guide your thinking. They give timely advice that comes from their life experiences. Number four, they offer critical correction and redirection in a loving way. And number five, they support us deeply as we face trials and temptations. Wouldn't you love to have a mentor like that in your life? That's what Duane is for me in my life as I try to grow my business as well as grow the ministry. But I have another mentor in my life who is incredibly powerful and had a huge impact in my life. This is someone who's been successful at leading a church planting movement in several nations, raising up hundreds of leaders who multiply themselves and others. And he did it under the same situation I deal with, persecution, pain and problems and government interference. By reading his writings and studying his life and ministry, I have found the critical insights, the continual inspiration, and the sustaining courage to do my calling in Christ. He is both my mentor and my role model, and I'm trying to do what he did, the way he did it, and to finish my life like he finished his, maybe not as a martyr. My mentor is the Apostle Paul. I, I, <laughs> I love this guy. He is for me what, the, uh, what Pete Carroll is for the players of the Seahawks. Amen. I just love his personality because it's so much like mine. It gives me validity about my drivenness. And, and sometimes he got angry and frustrated. He was passionate. He was aggressive. He was all in. And I go, a kindred soul if I've ever found one. I'm sure he was Irish somehow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just love this guy. And to me, he's the greatest action hero of all time. Now, why do I love Paul so much? Because of Paul, his background just screams the reality of what Jesus Christ can do. He, his transformation from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle is so incredible when you understand how he was raised. He's raised in Tarsus, which is a Greek, uh, which is Turkey now, part Eastern Turkey. And he was raised in a devoted Jewish family where his father was a Pharisee. And at the age of 10 or 14, history is a little bit unsure about this, he was sent away by his parents. Not only was he raised in a home with Pharisees, but he was sent away to study under the leading Pharisaical teacher at that time, Gamaliel, for five to 10 years. And a Pharisee, the word means separated one, one who's separated from everyone else 
and they saw everyone else as unclean. They were the only ones that were clean. They wouldn't eat with them. Uh, they, they had a strong adherence to the law, and they made up oral tradition on top of the law, and they expected people to live by that. These people defined the words holier than thou. Are you with me? And they were so steeped in it. It was like brainwash. It was like jihad Muslims, honestly, in the intensity and, and commitment to what they believed. That's how steeped Paul was. And yet God saw beyond what Saul was to what Paul could become. Hallelujah. He did the same in my life. He's doing the same in your life. He doesn't see you as you even are now. He knows what you have the capacity to do and be for his glory. Amen. And now in Acts 9, we read the story of this amazing conversion of Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. I mean, he's so devoted to being a Pharisee, he feels he has to eliminate Christians. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters to the synagogue in in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul were speechless. They stood speechless for they'd heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judah. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming coming to him and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, can't you hear Ananias? Exclaimed Ananias. I've heard, the word is out, many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. Oh, I want you to hear that. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias reluctantly responded his call of action. Despite all of his fears and apprehension, and he goes. And so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hand on him and said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, now that's faith. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. But it doesn't stop there. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately, look at that word, say it with me, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed, like shocked, like, wow, this is the mind blower. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? 
Oh, let's applaud the Lord for the miraculous work he does in people's lives. Amen. Woo! Awesome. Now, I know that we live in a season where there's great Marvel movies. And we have all of these superheroes and action heroes. We have Superman. We have Batman. We have Iron Man. We have Wonder Woman. We have Spider-Man. We have Captain America. But to me, the greatest action hero of them all is the Apostle Paul, who used to be the murderer Saul. In fact, I just want, to sh- want you to see my, why he's my favorite action hero. He's the anti-Christian Jewish terrorist who became the passionate Jesus preacher. He's the murderer who became the minister. He's the legalist who became the liberator. The hater who became the lover. The self-righteous Pharisee to the grace-only teacher. The church destroyer to the church multiplier. The self-serving stinker to sacrificial and suffering servant. Ah, that's amazing, isn't it? Every time I read his story, I go, wow, Jesus is unstoppable. Even when we resist him, we walk away from him, he pursues us because he knows what we can be if we bring our life under his lordship and direction. Amen? Amen? Now, what does Paul do for me? Paul feeds my faith. Paul feeds my faith. My mentor, Paul, feeds my faith. He is, to me, profound proof that Jesus Christ can transform anyone, anywhere, and everywhere. I'll say it again. He's profound proof that Jesus Christ can transform anyone, anywhere, and everywhere. His radical conversion and transformation fills my heart with faith for the deeply religious people I work with in the nations I go to, like the Hindus who have known nothing but being a Hindu for generations, or the Muslims who have known nothing but being a Muslim for generations, or the Buddhists in, in Cambodia who don't even hear the gospel. Instead of looking at people as a problem, as unreachable, as uh, how are we ever going to connect to them, I know that I have a Jesus Christ at work in their heart that the Holy Spirit is convicting them of sin and their need for Jesus. And if I get the gospel to them, nothing can stop them if they respond and say yes to Jesus Christ. I tell you what, in an era where we just have so much fear being provoked in so many ways, I want my heart to be filled with love. I'm not afraid of Muslims. I'm not afraid of Buddhists. I'm not afraid of Hindus. They're not an invasion army. I'm going to invade their nations with the gospel. I'd rather bring them to Christ and see them destroyed. Amen? And they can come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Here's an example from our own movement. Here's a picture of a man by the name of Amit. Isn't he gorgeous? Look at that little girl. She's adorable. They're sitting on the sofa in the home. Hard to believe that that man was a murderer, is a murderer. I met him in, in our LGN movement. I asked him when we were baptizing, tell me a story. He said, well, I was in prison because I murdered one of the leading gangsters in India. And I wasn't, he wasn't a Christian. I don't know what kind of religious background he came, but his heart was hard. And he knew that his life was going to be over, so he decided to commit suicide. He was in prison, and somehow a tract about Jesus Christ was left on the floor... And as he picked it up the night before he was going to commit suicide, he read it and he got radically born again and saved by Jesus Christ through the track found in prison. Come on. Miraculous. And, and he has become a dynamic preacher and pastor, one of the best in, in our movement. And he does a marvelous job, not only training his own congregation, but he also trains all these other pastors. Here's another picture of him here. This guy, everybody would have just written him off. But God miraculously got him out of prison and gave his life back to him. And he's using his life like Paul did to reach the people for Jesus Christ. Come on, let's applaud it one more time. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Woo! 
No one is beyond Christ's ability to bring himself. I'll say it again. No one is beyond Christ's ability to bring himself. Paul said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. But my mentor, Paul, does another thing for me. He focuses my ministry on effective mentoring. He focuses my ministry on effective mentoring. It's the number one thing I do. I focus on mentoring my staff and other pastors so that we can reproduce ourselves in them. Paul knew that for him to work with Jesus to reach the Gentiles, he would need to plant churches everywhere the Holy Spirit sent him. Those churches would need leaders, and he would need co-workers who could help him mentor those leaders. Paul mentored both his co-workers and future leaders and encouraged them to do the same because he knew that leadership multiplication through mentoring is the key to expansive and healthy church growth. Amen? Multiplication of leaders. That's why he wrote these words to Timothy. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these truths and that I've been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Amen? This is exactly what we're doing in Cambodia and in India. Here's a picture of the staff. Who'd ever dreamed that this staff, and there's a couple more that weren't there, could raise up a whole movement of churches with trainers like this of 261 churches that are reaping over 12,000 decisions for Jesus Christ since we started there. And then when we do in India, here's a picture of the staff there. And that staff is turned into a, a, a small army of trainers on the next slide. And they're reproducing themselves all over India in so many different states, all because we took one simple principle that Paul taught us, the methodology of multiplication, and we applied it immediately, and we're seeing incredible fruit. All the statistics that you saw on that screen today came out of the multiplication of leaders through mentoring, training, and teaching. Amen? Can we applaud the Lord for that? It's just so good to do that. Now, because I want to get good at this, because I understand that mentoring, is, mentoring makes a difference, I've done a lot of research in the whole New Testament about how did Paul mentor. And I found that Paul was a master builder. He not only he built tents, I built houses, but he had a toolkit. In his toolkit, there were seven mentoring tools, and they're listed in your program today. I'm going to go over a few of them, and then we'll wrap up this morning. Paul knew that it took more than one tool, like it takes more than one tool to build a house. It takes more than one type of mentoring to make a leader who can multiply himself. So let's go over a few of these. Number one, the highest thing we can do is an example worth imitating. Let's go ahead and skip to the, uh, the, the slide with that on there, okay? An example worth imitating. An example worth imitating is literally living what you say and giving an authentic model to imitate. The fastest and deepest way that people learn is by you modeling to them the attitude, the behavior, the skill that they want to learn and grow in. Amen? And that's why it's so critical for all of us in leadership to give people a model, an example worth imitating. Paul said this, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Even at 67, I see myself as Paul's Timothy. And I've taken follow my example and imitate me very seriously. He wrote to these words to Timothy. He said, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. 
I'm going to be totally honest with you. When I study the person of Paul, and I read his letters over and over again, I say, oh, God, I want to be like Paul. Oh, of course I want to be like Jesus, but I want to be like Paul because Paul was like Jesus. I want to think like Paul. I want to write like Paul. I want to teach like Paul. I want to feel what Paul felt. I want to have an intimacy with the Holy Spirit that Paul had. I want the power that Paul experienced. I want it all. I see in Paul everything I want. And I said, God, continue to use him in my life as a mentor. Bring about what you want through my life through his effectual mentoring of my life. And I want to finish my life like Paul, fighting the good fight, running the good race, running into the arms of Jesus. Amen? The second tool is contagious enthusiasm. Contagious enthusiasm. The two Greek words for enthusiasm are en and theos. That means full of God. How many would agree Paul was full of God? It was a passionate pursuit of someone or something, a tireless diligence. Paul personified passion and intensity and undying enthusiasm. He was all in, all the time, for everyone, everywhere. Only Pete Carroll matches Paul's contagious enthusiasm. I love that about him. And in things he was most passionate, I won't go over the scriptures because you have them to study, he was most passionate about intimacy with Christ. He wanted to know Christ. It wasn't a job. It was a relationship. Secondly, he was passionate about reaching the lost for Christ. He would do anything, go anywhere to communicate Jesus with them. He would give up anything to reach them. But that wasn't all. Paul, it says in Colossians, I'll read this one to you. It says this. He was also committed to bring them to maturity in Christ. He says, We proclaim him and admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. But there was a third tool that Paul used, and that's generous and genuine encouragement, the action of giving someone support, confidence, and hope. When he wrote the church in Philippi, it just oozes with encouragement. It's just the whole letter just like, whoa, wow. This is so encouraging. When you open the letter, he writes these words. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ Jesus from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. God knows how much I love you, long for you, with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Wouldn't you love to have him as your mentor? He's mentoring that whole church with three things, appreciation, affirmation, and affection. Beautiful. Number four, loving exhortation. Strongly urging someone to do something you think they should do out of love for them and desire for them to live their best life. Now, Paul would have loved this this sign I found at the Northwest Soccer Fields. Here's what it says. Please remember, while watching your child play, these are kids. This is a game. The coaches are volunteer. The referees are human. This is not the World Cup. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Good preaching there. Good preaching right on the sign. Well, Paul felt the same way when he wrote the church at Rome. This is what he says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person 
by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul was so committed to their successful development. He wanted them to walk in their divine calling. He wanted them to live holy lives in Christ Jesus. He didn't want them to slip back into legalism. He was so for them. He says, I'm pleading with you. That's the heart of an exerter. I'm pleading with you. Come on. Don't sabotage your own life. Give Jesus your best. Let him renew you and you'll become the person you long to be. Amen. But then there was another thing Paul did and he gave helpful edification. Sharing insights and instruction with a goal of improving every area of their life for Christ. We know that the church that Paul was writing to was suffering through persecution. And many of my brothers and sisters in India are going through the same thing. And they need to realize that pain and problem and persecution are not signs that God's abandoned them. No, God's hand is upon them. They are not victims. They are victors and more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So when Paul writes to the church at Rome, he knows that they're struggling through this. They're wrestling with it. And he makes this statement. It's so powerful. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Come on now. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with debt? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wasn't just giving information. He was building the very core of their spirit. That's real edification. Then he did two other things I wrap up this morning. Practical equipping. I won't go through the scriptures here. They're in your, your notes. Giving them the truth, training, and tools they need to fulfill their calling. That's what we do as we mentor people in the LGN. And empowerment. Giving someone the authority and power to do something. Making them stronger, more confident in doing their calling. As I finish today, I want you to know. Life-giving mentoring. Life-giving mentoring. Makes a life-changing difference. In people's lives. It really does. God could use you as a powerful life-giving mentor in so many people's lives. And maybe you're here today and you need a mentor. God will want to provide for you a mentor so that you can have your best life for Christ possible. But you have to be honest like I was honest. said, God, I don't know how to do all I'm supposed to do. Give me the mentors I need to fulfill the call that's on my life. Now, as Kurt comes to share and getting us ready for communion... I just want to thank you for the depths of my being, for all the support you've given to us, emotionally, financially, spiritually. It's just been amazing. Thank you from the depths of our being. Thank you from all of our pastors and leaders. But as I was worshiping this morning, I felt like Jesus came and stood in front of me this morning. So that's why I fell to my knees. And he said, stretch out your hands. He says, I'm here with you. I want you to reach out and touch my feet. And as I did, I felt the wound in his feet. I'm so grateful that this holy God came from heaven, loved me so much that he cleansed me from my sins and said, I can use you for a purpose beyond your wildest imagination. He'll do the same.